that love. How great that love is for us, that you would die for us, God. We thank you for the, your presence and the, the joy that comes in your presence. We just give you praise and glory. God, may our life be a life of worship and not just something we do here on a Sunday morning. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Well, good morning. Hope everyone is doing well. I'm a little curious. Um, how many people get really queasy when they see a bunch of blood? Raise your hands. Who are the queasy ones? Yeah, I know Brian's one of them. I've heard his stories. Um, what, what about snakes? What about snakes? When you see a snake, they get really queasy. And he's, okay. Um, any other phobias out there? I'm, like, who, who has a really weird phobia? Does anyone have a really weird phobia? Like, I don't know, like green flannel shirts or something like that? Any of them out there? No weird? Yeah, what's yours? People texting. <laughs> oh, that's, that's definitely a phobia, yes. Any other weird phobias out there? Okay, well, I'm going to make a confession of one of my phobias, um, and it's a little gross. So, yeah, if, if, you have, if, you, if you're a really queasy person, you might want to get a bucket. Um, and it's funny, because most people, when they get queasy about something, they, they throw up. And that's exactly what I'm scared of. Like, my phobia is vomit. I absolutely hate vomit. I, it's hard for me to be around it. Um, it just makes me feel sick. And maybe it's because of my past. And maybe it's because of the way that I've... Um, had bad experiences with vomit. For, for instance, one of my first memories of, of really um, having, a, have problem, having problems with vomit is um, I was working at a gas station. It came back. And it was a long day, and it was, I was hot and sweaty, and I needed some fluid in my body, so I ripped open the refrigerator door, and I grabbed a gallon of milk that my mom constantly told me not to drink out of, but decided that it's a little quicker than getting a cup, unscrewed the bottle, and started chugging it. Now... If you know anything about milk, you know that you don't really taste it until, you know, the aftertaste comes in. So you, you drink it, and then you have this aftertaste that comes, and wow, this aftertaste was incredibly nasty. This was rotten, rotten milk. I immediately started throwing up, the, dropped the, the jug of milk. Milk was going everywhere. As the milk was spilling out, I realized it looked more like cottage cheese than it did milk. There was curls of milk in there. I, I, it was horrible. I was, I, to this day... I still cannot drink milk that isn't even the least bit sour. It just brings back too many bad memories. I can't handle it. Um, another experience with vomiting, since thanks for asking for a second one. I will tell you another one. Um, the, the other one is uh, I was, you know, I worked with youth in Phoenix, Arizona, and these are city kids, and they're walking the streets, and they live off of vending machines. And um, anyways, we take them every year to Colorado, to um, get out in the open, show them what a mountain looks like, and help them to, you know, breathe in fresh air, and uh, we do a bunch of Bible studies with them. It's, it's always a great time, so I'm driving this van full of city, inner city kids, city slickers. Now, one thing about city slickers you got to understand is that their diets, well, let's just put it this way, they called me a health freak. <laughs> now, anyone who knows me that would call me a health freak, they have serious diet issues. Um, basically, these, these city kids would live off of two things, uh, hot Cheetos and Mountain Dew. <laughs> that's just what they, that's what they ate. And um, so we're driving, and I have my buddy Raymond in the backseat. Raymond is uh, about 13, 14 
pretty chubby kid, loves to eat, of course, his food. So he's sitting in the back seat of this 15-passenger van, and we're coming back from a good week in Colorado, and he didn't like any of that chicken and mashed potato stuff, way too healthy for him. So he was, he was eating his Cheetos, um, his large bag of Cheetos, and all of a sudden, as we're bumping along in Colorado, I hear this vomiting sound, and I get all tense, and just feel the feeling starting to come back. I looked in my rear mirror, and there he was. Cheetos going everywhere. Now, uh, I couldn't believe it. So I pulled over the van and we opened the doors and uh, everyone gets out. I was like, just go run around this restaurant. I don't care what you do. And Raymond runs to the bathroom to finish what he was um, showing everybody. And uh, there's my wife and I cleaning up these regurgitated Cheetos that are just nasty. Anyways, um, so maybe that's my problem. It's too many bad experiences with vomiting. That's why I just can't, whew, I can't take it very well. So let's dive into today's sermon. We're going to jump to Isaiah 29:13. If you want to turn to your Bibles, to Isaiah chapter 29, verse 13. The Lord says, starting at 13, these people come near to me with their mouths. And honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship, their, their worship of me is based on merely human rules they have been taught. So in other words, Jesus is saying, he's talking about this group of people that they talk the talk, but yet their hearts and what they do are, are far from who God is. And I was, I was reading this verse earlier as I was prepping for the sermon. It's like, man, what do I, what is this, what do I think of? And immediately all these thoughts start coming to me about the Church of America. And when I was about 18 or 19, God started giving me a huge passion for the Church of America. I was actually planning to go overseas. I thought that's what just Christians did. They just, you know, they go overseas once they really connect with God. But then God really started giving me a heart for this Church of America, a drastically dying Church of America. And I think this is the way God views them is that they're talking the talk, but they're not really walking the walk. And this is called practical atheism. That's why we're doing this sermon series, because we see a huge problem of people who their hearts aren't with God, but yet they claim to believe in God. A poll showed that 94% of America, 94%, that's pretty large, said 94% of America says they believe in God. But look around us. Does 94% of America live as though they believe in God? Look at our culture. Look at our shows. Look at the way we relate relate to each other. I think it's quite obvious. I think we suffer from a very bad case of practical atheism. So this morning, we're going to deal with um, practical atheists as we're in that sermon series. And we're going to deal with the, the thought of the, a common thought of the practical atheist, which is, I believe in God, but I don't really want to go overboard. Like, I believe, you know, I believe there's God, but like, let's not get crazy about it here, okay? Let's not, let's not go too extreme. Um, let's turn to Revelations chapter 3. That's where I'm going to be the main text this morning. Um, in Revelations chapter 3, Jesus is talking to some different churches. And um, six of these churches, Jesus had something good to say. Say, here, you're doing this well. This is really good. And then he, and then he comes and, send, and then he corrects them a little bit and says, here's some things you can work on. So good job here. Work on these things. But the church we're going to talk about this morning, he had nothing good to say about. Zero. Nothing at all. And this is the church 
of Laodicea. Now, you got to understand about Laodicea. It's, it's a very um, wealthy city, okay? They had um, built these huge theaters, these huge stadiums, these huge shopping malls. They had money flowing everywhere. And they were all about the bigger the better. Um, and the church in that city started to get... Well, it started to get sucked in. They started enjoying the, 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 the shows. They started enjoying the entertainment. They enjoyed the big buildings. They enjoyed the lights. They enjoyed the entertainment. And all of a sudden, they found themselves sucked in to the culture, and they totally forgot about God. And here is Jesus' response to them when he's writing this letter. Check it out. To the angel of the church in Laodicea, we're starting at verse 14 of chapter 3. We're going to go 14 to 17. To the angel of the church in Laodicea write, These are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. You say, I am rich and have acquired wealth and do not need a thing, but you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. Now, this, this term lukewarm, it's interesting that Jesus used this because if you know anything about Laodicea, you recognize that where they're located at, they didn't have direct access to water, which means they got water from two sources. They got water from the hot springs, which they would come and they'd ship in and then they'd get water from cold water places like streams and stuff that would need to be shipped in. Now, well, the problem with Laodicea's water was that the time it came from the hot springs got down to the city, it had turned lukewarm. And the time they got it from the springs of the cold springs and they're bringing it in, it had turned lukewarm because it had come to, to room temperature. So lukewarm water was a huge problem um, with Laodicea. Um, and it was actually really hard getting good water. Another thing that um, Laodicea did, they often would throw these huge festivals in honor of God. They would have these huge festivals, and at these festivals, they would serve these drinks. And they would serve the hot, like the hot tea and then the cold tea. You know, we like extremes of like hot tea or cold tea or the hot water, cold water, depending on what they were serving. But the most important people were always served for first because you wanted to give them the extremely hot or the extremely cold. And by the time the water filtered down to your less important people, um, it, it was lukewarm. And it was actually kind of um, embarrassing because at a party, you would then, you would kind of figure out your place or what the host thought of that party because, or this festival, because you would get your glass and you're like, ooh, all right, you drink and, ah, oh, it's lukewarm. It's gross. And you'd spit it out and then you'd realize that, oh, I must not be a very important peop- a person at this party. Let's, let's look at verse 16 again. Um, when it says, um, so because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. That word spit meant a lot to them. In fact, that word spit actually is interpreted, could be interpreted as vomit. It's kind of the same Greek word there, spit or vomit. It means like when you're drinking something lukewarm and you're like, oh, gross. And like, oh, yeah, we do that all the time. You know, a drink, you're like, oh, gross. And you vomit it up just like, just like the milk. Um, you vomit it up. You can't, you can't hold it in. It's just that gross. And so when Jesus is talking to him, he's saying, look, I, I know who you are and I know how you live. And, and you know me like you claim to know me, but yet you live as though I don't even exist. How can you claim to know a God like me and then and live as though I don't exist. Like, I can't even stomach that. Like, that makes me want to puke. I can't even keep that in. 
Just like Raymond and his Cheetos, it was so nasty, he couldn't keep those Cheetos in and me and that milk, there's no way I'd be able to drink that milk. That milk was absolutely disgusting. No way my body could handle it. And that's what Jesus is saying about lukewarm. He's like, look, a lukewarm Christian, I can't even stomach. Like, I, I can't, it doesn't even mix with me. It's so nasty and against my nature, it has to come out. I puke it. I, I spit it out. You know, and I, I can't imagine God looking at this so-called Christianity and, and just looking at the church today and saying, look, you know what I've done. You know how I, how I sacrificed my one and only son for your gross sin, how I humbled myself and came as a baby to show you the way. And you know the answers. You have the Bible. It's all right there. But yet, you live as though I don't exist. You act like I'm not even there. Like, I can't stomach that. That's, that. That makes me want to vomit. Do you guys know what an oxymoron is? No, it's not what you call the person you're mad at. Um, an oxymoron is when you take two words that mean completely different things and you put them together. Uh, or, sorry, take two words that mean completely opposite things. You put them together. Like, let me give you an example. Uh, an accurate rumor. That's an oxymoron. Uh, a silent scream. An oxymoron. Um, act naturally. You know, that's, that's an oxymoron. I hear that one a lot, but that's an oxymoron. You can't act naturally. Um, and, then, and then the one I hear from my sisters a lot. This is going to be an open secret. <laughs> okay. That's an oxymoron. You can't have an open secret here. So I went online because I, I love Googling stuff. And I Googled, number one, oxymoron. You know what the internet, and the internet doesn't lie. Um, <laughs> but you know what the number one oxymoron is? Microsoft works. <laughs> That's what it showed up as. Microsoft works. Um, anyways, um, but, what, but what about lukewarm Christian? Like, does that really mesh? Like, when you say lukewarm and a Christian, I mean, does that sound like anything like the Bible is talking about a follower of Christ? Someone who's picking up their cross and following Christ, someone who's laying down the world, denying themselves, who's let the dead bury their own dead, who's grabbing the plow and never looking back. And lukewarm. Like, does that really match? It's like, it's, like, it's like the guy who said, I hate two people in this world. I hate racist people who are racist, and I hate the Japanese. <laughs> it doesn't matter. Like, you're an idiot for saying that. It doesn't make any sense. It doesn't connect. What about lukewarm Christian? What about that? Does it match? And, and what is it? How do we even describe it? And are we lukewarm? I and mean, we got to look at this passage. We have to ask ourselves the question. This is pretty scary stuff. Are we, are we lukewarm? And it's actually biblical. The Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians 13.5, it says, examine yourselves to see if you are in the faith. So it's something we need to do. It's something that Sundays should be all about is examining ourselves. Are we in the faith? Have we got swept away by the world or are we still in the faith? So Francis Chan came up with this list of lukewarm qualities, and we're going to check them out. And as we check them out, there's 10 of them. As we check them out, I want you to look at each one and allow the Holy Spirit to speak to your life and say, wait a minute. And ask, honestly ask God, see, am I lukewarm in this area or am I living on fire for you? Let's go to the first one. Lukewarm Christians. Number one, they crave the acceptance from people more than God. In other words, they want to blend in they want to be liked. They want to kind of conform to the world. They just, they care about what others think more than they care about what God thinks. 
Uh, number two, they rarely share their faith. I think you have in your bulletin, you have uh, inserts that you can be filling out too if you're the kind of people who like to, to write stuff down. So you can open your bulletin and fill some of those blanks in. Um, they rarely share their faith, which leads you to think they don't really believe that Jesus is that necessary for salvation. Number three, they do whatever it takes to alleviate their guilt. And it almost becomes an art where, like, they know how to go to church because that'll make them feel better because they feel guilty. So they go to church, but yet they don't want to engage in church. They want, they want to get involved, you know, not too involved. They, want to, they don't want to volunteer. They don't want to help out at all because they're just not into that stuff. But they want to go in order to alleviate their guilt, get rid of their guilt, relieve their guilt. Um, you also find the, those lukewarm Christians who want to alleviate from guilt praying prayers like, God, please forgive me of my sin. But in the back of their mind, they're knowing that in a week or so, they're doing it right again. It's just they want to get the guilt off. They got to get the guilt off. The guilt's killing them. Number four, they think more about life on earth than eternity in heaven. Because that's what it's all about, right? I mean, you got the big house, you got the nice car. Um, when the economy crashes, we all freak out. Because, I mean, don't mess with our lifestyle. Um, because things make me happy. I mean, that's the attitude of this lukewarm Christian who thinks more about life on earth than heaven. Like, life on earth, like, things on earth really mean a lot to that person. They kind of forget the whole thing called eternity that comes after the short life ends. Uh, number five, lukewarm Christians, they, they gauge their morality by comparing themselves to others. There's a lot of worse people out there. Why are you picking on me? Kind of thought there. This, man, I, I see this happening in the church of America all over the place. Like people are looking at the next person beside them to see if that's right or wrong. They go to that person, they're like, well, you know, movies. You know, well, he's watching that movie. Dress. Well, you know, they dress that way. They're Christians. Um, or they, you know, like what about listening to music? Oh, well, you know, he listens to music and he's a, he's a, he's a good Christian. He listens to music. And we start engaging or we start gauging our morality by the person next to us. Which leads to incredible lukewarmness because we're all gauging to each other. We're all eventually going to keep going down. The Bible is the standard of living. The Bible is the truth to our morality. If, we, if you aren't gauging your life by the Bible, which means you have to be in it, reading it, like you're not going to have any standard because everybody's going to be worse than you. There's always someone who's worse than you. So number five is to gauge morality by comparing themselves to others. Number six they want to be saved from the penalty of sin without changing their ways. In other words, they want enough of God to go to heaven, but not so much they look different and weird. Like, I want to be saved. Don't get me wrong. I want to be saved from my sins. But I really like to kind of do some of this stuff. So I'm going to try to find this line where I can still sin a little bit and satisfy that sinful nature of my life. At the same time, not enough to tick God off. So I you know, get out of heaven. You know, I want to make sure I'm going to heaven here. Um, number seven, they only turn to God when they're in a bind. Wow. Now, you talk about the Church of America. Like, we see that. I mean, what happened after 9-11? Like, I mean, everybody was praying, pray for this, pray for that. I mean, churches were being filled up with people, and everyone was God this and God that. Oh, a piece of metal fell, you know, fell in the shape of a cross. Don't touch it. Don't touch it. Let the cross stand, you know. But what, what happened two weeks later? 
Nothing. <laughs> it all went back to normal. Still, you know, I'll probably pray, I'll pray in the schools. This person offended me. He talked about Christ in front of me. You know, but as soon as we need God, as soon as we're in a bind, all of a sudden God is the most popular person. And everybody's praying and everyone's filling the churches, but then it's like God's a vending machine. We need him put in the quarter and push the button. I'll drop some out and do, and you're good to go. That's the way they treat God. Okay, lukewarm Christians, number eight. They give whenever it doesn't hurt the standard of living. Number nine. Lukewarm Christians, they are not much different from the rest of the world. They're just not. They look the same. They talk the same. They cuss the same. They dress the same. They educate their children the same way. They have the same morals. They are entertained the same way. They're just simply not different. Like you really can't pick them out from the world. And number 10, to sum it up, lukewarm Christians, they want the benefits of what Christ did without conforming to who he is. That's the heart behind a lukewarm Christian. He wants all the blessings. He wants to go to heaven. He wants God for those purposes only. But he doesn't want to conform to Christ's likeness. He doesn't want to live a holy life. He doesn't want to please God. He pretty much wants God to please him and just to make sure he's going to heaven and make sure he's getting what he needs to in order to get to heaven. Guys, this... This is not fun to preach about. And mainly because I see these, this list, I see them in my own life. And, and this is, I'm on a process, a road called sanctification that God has been working in my life for years and years now. And I see these things keep popping up in my own life. And I don't like to tick anybody off. And I don't like to rub people the wrong way. But at the same time, like Dwayne and I were talking about it, um, earlier this week. At the same time, like we are responsible for your spiritual growth. If we have a congregation with lukewarm people in it, like that really reflects our leadership. And even though it's hard to challenge people because we're always scared of people leaving or people getting upset or people not being happy, same time, the alternative is not preaching the truth. And that's not an alternative. We have to preach the truth. We have to preach what the Bible says. And, and it's, it's not fun. And it's, the reason, one reason it's, it's not fun is because in this culture that we live in, it is hard. Let's just be honest about it. It is so hard to follow Christ in our culture. And I think one of the main reasons is because following Christ is so easy. That's one of the main reasons why it's hard. Because whenever it's easy to, it's hard to serve. It's hard to serve God because it's easy to accept. Because there's no commitment to it. Absolutely no commitment. Anybody can say, I believe in God. And we're like, that's cool, bro. Just keep that up. And there's no, and there's no commitment behind it. There's no um, challenges that go with it, really. Um, because I mean, if you want to see a church that's on fire, like you want to see a church that's burning bright, go to anywhere where if you confess to be a Christian, you're either in prison, tortured, or killed. Guarantee you, you will see a church that is burning bright. But the church we're a part of today, is, that's not the situation. It's way too easy to get to know Christ. There's no commitment level there. Um, and, and then we've got to ask ourselves, if the commitment level is there of, of our life, where, where it took our life, you would literally die in the next three months by average if you would be a Christian. Like, would you still claim to be a Christian? Or would you be like, man, I'm not that serious about it now. <laughs> I want to live a little. It's hard. It's so hard. And what scares me is that I think some of us are lukewarm, and we don't even know it. Like, we're just, we're looking at the person next to us saying, well, they're, you know, they're Christian and they're doing that. And, and we, we're totally blinded to it. 
And the other thing that even scares me worse is I think some of us know we're lukewarm, but yet we just don't even care. Like, it doesn't even bother us. And just like Laodicea, I fear that we're caught up in our wealth and all our money that we have and all the fun entertainment, all the great things that are going. Not that that's wrong in itself. Not that being entertained is wrong. Not that money is wrong. I mean, definitely isn't wrong. But it's a trap. And if we get stuck in that trap, we get, we get stuck in this trap that wealth is our security. We, see, the thing about wealth is it really brings a false sense of security. We think we have it made. We're like, eh, we don't need God. I mean, look, look, let's read verse 17 again. Chapter 3 of Revelations, verse 17. He says, you say, I am rich, I have acquired wealth, and do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. Living in a wealthy culture provides many traps, especially for falling into being a lukewarm Christian. It's hard. That's why we need to talk about this. That's why we need to discuss it. That's why we need to challenge each other. And, and then we go back to the question, wait a minute, is lukewarm Christian, is that even a correct term? Like, is that even a thing? Can that be a thing? I mean, do these, this verse that we just read, does that talk, does it just sound like Jesus is talking to spirit-filled believers? Like, I mean, I don't know. I mean, let's look at it. Look at, let's look at these describing words. Wretched. When Jesus calls somebody wretched, is that talk about someone who's living in the new life, a, spirit, a spirit-filled believer who's living in the new nature of Christ? Not really. The person, or the person that he calls pitiful, I mean, does that sound like a, like a vibrant Christian? No, I mean, poor, naked, blind. The prodigal son's father didn't run up to him and hug his son and say, son, I'm so glad you're back. You were blind, but now you are blind. And then the clencher is, in verse 20, it says, Jesus is saying, look, I know you go to church. I know that. But yet, I'm standing at the door and I'm knocking, asking you to let me in. Which means he's not in yet. Like Jesus isn't in that church. He's not there. He's knocking. He wants to be, but he's not. It's really scary. It's a scary thought. Because in Matthew 7, then you jump and you meet these people who are coming to Jesus on judgment day and they're saying, Lord, Lord, look what we did. We healed people. We cast out demons. We were going to church. We were faithful. Aren't you proud of us, God? And he's saying, I don't even know you. I don't know who you. I've never known you. Away from me. For if I don't know you, you can't be with me. And that means that there are Christians that are not going to be with God. There are Christians that are going to end up in hell. Because there are going to be Christians that walk up there and say, Lord, Lord, didn't I? And Jesus is going to say, I never knew you. It's going to be a sad, sad day. That's why this... This topic of lukewarm is, is so important to talk about. You know, it just sounds like the Christian atheist who says, Lord, Lord, didn't I, didn't I, didn't I, didn't I do this, that, this, and that, kept my tallies going, and Jesus is saying, I never knew you. You're an atheist, even though you claim to be a Christian. But listen, there is hope. 
Okay, this is where the good news comes in. Okay, there is hope. Jesus does not stop by talking to Laodicea. I know we're a lot like Laodicea, so we can apply a lot of things. But Jesus did not stop by saying, you're poor, wretched, blind, and naked. Goodbye. He didn't say that. This is what he said. He jumped to verse 18. He says, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so you can become rich. White clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness. Sap to put on your eyes so you can see. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne. Just as I was victorious and sat down with my father on his throne, whoever has ears, let them hear me what the Spirit says to the churches. That's our hope. There it is. There comes our redemptive God against. We're pitiful. We're lukewarm. We're so involved in our wealth. Jesus should have given up on this church, but he doesn't because he's a redeeming God. He comes out and he says, I'm going to counsel you. That is good news. But the problem is it's not good news for the person who has their security and wealth. It's not good news. It's only good news for those who have a high view of God and a low view of themselves. It's only good news for those who realize that even though they have money, they're pitiful, they're wretched, they're blind, they're naked, they're poor. Then Jesus becomes good news. But until you realize that, Jesus is not good news. But to this church, he's saying, here I am. I'm the good news. I'm the hope you've been waiting for. Jesus tells us what to do. He starts up with, in verse 18, I counsel you. In other words, listen to me. I'm going to give you instruction here. Let me refine you, make you clean again. That's what he's saying. Let me take all that gross stuff, that you, all your wretchedness, all your pitifulness, and I'm going to refine you, and I'm going to make you beautiful again. So I'm going to give you clothes. Now, he's not talking about a literal nakedness and literal clothing here. He's talking about righteousness. I'm going to take your spiritual nakedness and I'm going to clothe you in righteousness. Make you beautiful. I can't even see your sin anymore. Like you're, I'm blinded to it by your righteousness. I'm, and then he says, I'm going to salve on your eyes to open your eyes. And he's talking about the truth, the real perspective of life. Saying, I'm going to put salve on your eyes. I'm going to open your eyes so you can see how lukewarm you are. You can see the truth of how you need to be living for me. You can see the right perspective of eternity and life. And you're not so focused on this world. Then the cool part happens. Jesus says, I do this because I love you. I only, I only rebuke and discipline those I love. That's what he says. If you are being rebuked and disciplined, I wouldn't love you. But because I love you, I'm being really hard on you. And I'm asking you to rise to the challenge because I love you. It's like the other day. Like I don't understand this whole father love thing until... I had a, a son, and I became a father myself, but the other day, Davey was, we were out in the yard, and I was uh, wash, uh, washing one of the cars, and we have that little lane that drives by, and I've been, Emily and I have been trying to teach him to stay off the road. You know what I mean? It's not, it's dangerous. You can't go on the road. And anyways, I'm washing the car, and I look, and there's David running across the road, that little gravel lane there, and I yell at him. I yell really loud. I said, David, you get over here right now. You come back here. He tenses up and looks. I said, David, you come over here right now. And I was stern. Oh, I was really stern with him. And he crunches down. He starts crying. He turns around and comes. and is just shaking. And he's all crying. And I pick him up and I hug him. And I said, David, I love you. I love you a lot. 
Okay. And that's all I need to say at that time because he's not going to understand anything else. But that's what God is with us. David needed that. If I didn't love him, I'd be like, oh, David, come back. It's probably good. You need to come back here a little bit. When his life is on the line, man, I'm going to get upset. And I'm going to shout and I'm going to yell at him until he gets it. Because I love that kid. I don't want anything bad to happen to that kid. That's God. He's going to yell. He's going to rebuke. He's going to say some things that hurt. He's going to say some things that are really hard to take. Because we're talking about heaven or hell here. We're talking about your eternal destiny. God loves you like crazy. And that's why he's so hard. That's why he's saying, you cannot be lukewarm. You can't. I'm going I'm to vomit you if you are. It's, it's, it's a make or break. You can't. Lukewarm isn't an option. He says, I want you to be earnest and repent. I'm going to do all these things for you. I'm going to clothe you. I'm going to open your eyes. I'm going to bring you righteousness. And then I want you to, I do this because I love you. And I want you to be earnest and repent. There it is. There's our action right there. So we say, okay, God's going to do this stuff to us. He's going to change us. He loves us. But what do we got to do? He says, you got to repent. Be earnest. So I Googled earnest because I like to Google and I Googled the word earnest to see what it means, and it means resulting from or showing intense conviction. So first, God said, I want you to be convicted. I want you to feel guilt. <laughs> I want you to burn inside of you where you're so ashamed of your lukewarmness and your wretchedness. You're so ashamed. It's burning. It's intense. And then I want you to take that conviction, and I want you to repent. I Googled that word too. And it doesn't mean a magic little prayer, and then you're good to go, okay? This is what repent means, to make a change for the better as a result of remorse for one's sin. It's to make a change. It's not a prayer. It's to make a change. So it's what he's saying, I want you to do. I want you to first realize your sin. Feel convicted. Feel so convicted. You're in intense conviction about it. And I want you to come, and I want you to change. Now, I've struggled with sins in the past that I've said, I'm just not going to do it again. I'm going to change. And the next week, I did it right again. And the next week, I was like, I'm going to change. I'm going to change. I'm never going to do that again. And then I did it again. I was missing the Holy Spirit's power because I was trying to change things on myself. That's not what he's saying because he follows up and says, I'm at the door knocking. He, the Holy Spirit is here to help us change. I'm not saying go and do it yourself. You can't. If you right now say, okay, I'm lukewarm. I'm going to change. You're not going to change. But it's when you repent and you say, I need to change, I'm going to change by the power of the Holy Spirit. And you ask God, this is where the praying comes in then, you ask God to change you. He's going to change and you can do it. Not by your own power, but his, by his power. We can take a lukewarm anybody, a lukewarm church, and when we repent and get down on it, it's painful, oh, it's so painful. And it's hard, oh, extremely hard. But it's what God requires from us, to go and repent. Say, God, I'm lukewarm. I'm going to change. I need your help to do it. I need your power. I'm repenting. I'm wrong. You're right. From now on, I'm living for you. I'm going to be sold out for you. Worship team, if you guys want to come on up, that would be great. Um, so this morning, just go ahead and bow your heads. Just 
take some time. This is, this is time for just you. I don't want you to really focus on anything else. So if you can focus best by bowing your heads and closing your eyes, I'd say do that. Whatever you can focus best. But I want you to think about this for a little bit. Look at your life. Be honest with yourself. Are you lukewarm? Are you caring more about the world than you are about God? Are you just trying to get away from guilt? The Bible says in 2 Corinthians, like I said earlier, to examine ourselves. 2 Corinthians 13, 5. And that examination isn't just a one-time process. This examination is something that needs to happen constantly. We're constantly doing this, spending time with God. God, where do I need to repent? Am I lukewarm? Do you need the fire of Christ again? Have you lost that first love? James, it talks about the world polluting us. Have you been polluted by the world? Because remember, guys, being lukewarm is not anything to take lightly at all. It's a very serious issue. If God says he's gonna vomit him out, us out of his mouth, if we're lukewarm, that's nothing to take lightly. I know we live in a society where Christians everywhere are lukewarm, and it's really hard to stay on fire for God with our wealth, but we have to. Can't get sucked in to our culture. I want you, I want you to take care of it today. Okay, it's, it's not worth carrying the, the, the burden of being a lukewarm Christian any longer. It's time to be free and to, to be in God and to, to be on fire, to, to know what it means to follow God with, with our whole heart, no turning back. And it's going to be a daily struggle. Today's, today, I hope, will be a, a first step in the right direction, but it's going to be a constant struggle of repenting Repentance is not a one-time thing. It's, it's a daily thing. Say, God, where have I strayed? Okay, I want everyone to look up now and look around. I'm going to ask, I'm going to ask some people to do some hard things this morning. James talks about confessing our sins to one another. I know it's hard. It's painful. It's like me screaming at Davy on the road. It's not pleasant. But it's something God requires us to do because it's so good for us. It takes away all the other motives for doing it and it keeps us, it keeps us pure and humble before him saying yes. And it's really good for the church. It's a bonding moment for the church. You guys all heard the testimonies a couple Sundays ago. It was amazing here. People were just ripping out their hearts of what God, what they struggled with and how God brought light to that and healing to that. So if you're struggling with, with lukewarm today and you're like, you know what, I'm done with it. I'm done being lukewarm. I'm, I'm sold out. Yes, I've been lukewarm, but this is it. I'm making a commitment today that I'm, I'm sold out for Jesus Christ. I want you guys just to stand up and come to the front. Yes, in, in front of your parents, in front of your grandparents, in front of your friends, in front of people you don't even know. I want you to make a stand. If this is you this morning, you're like, I'm... I'm lukewarm. I'm so sick of it. I want to be sold out for the good of our congregation so we can applaud you, so we can be encouraged by you, so we can pray for you. I want you to go public this morning. Just stand up with a clear statement saying, God, I'm all in for you. I'm all in for you. So if that's you this morning, go ahead and stand up and um, just come forward to the, to the altar. We're going take some time here to, to worship a little bit. If that's you, just stand up and come. You 
see those who are up front here. If, if there's a family member, if there's someone who you want to pray with, just go surround them. It's okay if three or four people want to come up around each person. Just if you, um, if you have a family member or a good friend who's up there, support them right now. Just pray for them and, and um, be with them at this time.